Good morning to you, church. Good morning to those of you worshiping online today. We are just thrilled to have all of you with us today. You know, in certain parts of the ancient Middle East where uh, populations were spread out, societies were not well organized and, and judicial systems were far and, and few between. Uh, people kept the, the law in order by a rather aggressive form of tribal crime and punishment. For example, if somebody in your family lost his or her life at the hands of another person, your family would call a meeting. You'd discuss the situation and, and then appoint somebody who became known as the blood avenger. This person would become the representative from your family whose job it was to track down and kill the person who had killed your family member. A celebration would ensue. Uh, justice had been done. But a problem arose in the middle of that culture. There was no provision for accidental homicides, for unintentional deaths. And in the ancient Near East, and, and even still today, accidental killing can lead to family vendettas. A true story. Not long ago, an Israeli man spoke to a Muslim woman. It was in broad daylight in the street, but when he spoke to her, she was unaccompanied by her male relatives who were nearby, but not in her immediate presence. Her relatives took this as an affront on her family honor. Now, this would not be an issue for us, but under Muslim law, you do not do that. The family kidnapped this young Israeli a man. They chained him to the bumper of their car, and they drove him through the streets of Jerusalem. He almost died. He was in the hospital for months. And when he got out, do you know what his family did? They sought out a blood vendetta against this Muslim family. And this can go on and on. Well, in the Old Testament books of Deuteronomy and, and Numbers and Joshua, we see God step into this situation. He addresses the problem by establishing what were called cities of refuge. And, and in Joshua 20, it says this, Then the Lord said to Joshua, Tell the Israelites to designate the cities of refuge as I instructed you through Moses. So that anyone who kills a person accidentally and unintentionally may flee there and find protection from the avenger of blood. And when they flee to one of these cities, they are to stand in the entrance of the city gate and state their case before the elders of that city. And then the elders are to admit the fugitive into their city and provide a place to live among them. And if the avenger of blood comes in pursuit, the elders must not surrender the fugitive because the fugitive killed their neighbor unintentionally and without malice aforethought. Of course, if, if you might be familiar with this if, if you've been to law school. We see some of the roots of our legal system even in the Old Testament. You see, if there's an accidental killing, as terrible as that is, there is not going to be vengeance visited generation upon generation. Justice will be done. The rule of law will be established. There will be trials. There will be witnesses shedding innocent blood, the Bible says, defiles the land. And so God gave to the tribe of Levi, which was the, the priestly tribe that was 
given responsibility for the spiritual and worship life of the community, 48 cities to live in. And of those 48, six of them were to be these cities of refuge. And they were spread out over the land for easy access. They had paths going their way, roads and, and signposts uh, pointing to the city of refuge. And if a person committed an unintentional homicide, he or she would take off running. And if the offender got to the city of refuge before the blood avenger tracked them down, they were safe inside the gates. And after a time, a fair trial would be held. And if the person were innocent, he or she would live in the city of refuge until the death of the high priest and then be able to go home. But of course, if the person were guilty, the blood avenger would do his thing. But look what God does in the middle of this Situation. He provided a place to run to, a shelter, a, a hiding place until a fair trial could be had. And, and look what God names these cities of refuge. You see, the idea for these hiding places, these shelters, flows out of the very heart and character of God to provide safety and, and refuge to people who are feeling oppressed or hunted down. It is in the heart of God to provide safety and, and refuge to people who find themselves running fast but wearing down. It is the heart of God to provide safety and refuge for people who are hearing footsteps and who desperately need a hiding place. Over and over again in the Old Testament, we find God compared to a place of refuge. Now the psalm, psalmist used by far more than any of the book of the, uh, of the Bible. Some 43, time, 43 times the psalmist uses that city of refuge, that shelter, in which God is compared to this, this place of refuge uh, uh, from the harsh forces or, or the realities that are, that are pressing in upon you and wearing you down. And, and oftentimes this refuge is is compared to something that is strong, something that is solid, something that is immovable, like a rock or a fortress. But in the book of Ruth, and four times in the Psalms, this refuge is compared to the wings of a mother bird protecting her young. In fact, when David was on the, on the run from King Saul and he was hiding out in a cave in the wilderness, he wrote these words from Psalm 57, Have mercy on me, my God, have mercy on me, for I take refuge. I take refuge in the shadow of your wings until the disaster has passed. Now, most of you folks here are your city folks. And you've never had chickens that you had to take care of. So I want to show you just exactly how this looks like. <laughs> Isn't that pretty cool? They hide under the shelter of their mother. They are sheltered. They are protected. And David says that's how God felt, that's how David felt about God's presence when he was on the run. That is bound up in the very character and, and the nature of God to provide a, a hiding place for his people. That just like God provided cities of, of refuge for those who are running from blood adventures, God delights in spreading his protective wings and enfolding his frightened and weary 
and beaten down and worn out children under those wings. And it reminds us that Christ, who is our hiding place, that Christ shelters us from death, that he is our eternal refuge. And as high priest, he will never die. No avenger can touch us because Christ has already died and risen from the dead. Now, cities of refuge didn't mean much to the average person. But to the person who had a, a blood avenger hot on her heels, cities of refuge were the most important places on the planet. She runs for her life, birth, bursting through the gates of, of the city of refuge just ahead of her pursuer. She falls down on the street outside or inside the city of refuge and she says, Yea, God, I would have been dead if it were not for this safe place. And the cities were open to all. The Israelite, the stranger, and, and the sojourner. In fact, non-biblical sources tell us that the gates of these cities were kept open day and night, never closed, never locked. And that the roads to the cities were kept well-maintained and, and well-marked with signs that read, City of Refuge. And that bridges would be built over the deep ravines to provide easy access. You see, folks, this is the Bible's vision of the church. This is what the church of God should look like. The church is to be a city of refuge. The church needs to welcome the lost who are running from the adventure. We need to make the way to the church well marked and well maintained. You and I need to be out there pointing the way for folks who are on the run. I know some of you felt that way when you first came here. You came here with, with anxious hearts, searching for something more, and you found it in a Christian community. All the time, people come here who don't have it all together, which works pretty well because the truth is most of us don't have it all together. I know the pastors don't have it all together. The church that wants to be a refuge, needs to build bridges to everyone. You may remember Jesus saying some words to his disciples. He said, things that cause people to stumble are bound to come, but woe to anyone through whom they come. For it would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. I don't know about you, but I hear those words and, and that last part. And the first thing I think about is punishment going on if I mess up. And we think to ourselves, oh my goodness, that there's, there's always going to be something that makes people stumble. But woe to me if I'm the one that, that causes that. If I do, something bad is going to happen to me. I'm going to be thrown off into the sea with a big rock tied around my neck and I'm going to drown. I, I better not make a mistake. But that's not the point Jesus is making here. We look at that word stumble, and, and that word stumble in Greek is the word scandalon. That's where we get our word scandal. And that word can mean many different things, but at its most basic definition, it is talking about an obstacle, about something that gets in the way. And a lot of the Bible translations just use one of the many different meanings that talk about causing people to sin. But actually, there is something that comes prior to causing people to sin. And that is getting in the way of what God is trying to do in people's lives. 
So when it comes to community, our role, our role is to be the bridge. Our role is to be an ambassador of Christ, to bring people together. And when that doesn't happen, when, when we're the common obstacle, we're not being a bridge. We become a wall. Let me put it this way. The purpose of community is for its citizens to connect with one another and to connect with God. Now God, who is the center, decides to use the people in the city of refuge to make all those connections and, and all those bridges for a relationship to happen. So the citizens have a choice. They can either be a bridge or a wall. Which do you want to be? Don't be afraid, folks, to be that bridge. Don't be afraid to take a risk with someone. God is asking us to live into that reality that the Holy Spirit wants to work in us and through us to bless somebody else, to be a bridge rather than to be an obstacle into the city of refuge. I mean, think about the ways that we can become a wall. How do we become an obstacle? One of the ways in which I become an obstacle in God's work in the kingdom is when I know that he's asking me to do something for someone else and I choose to postpone it. I can't tell you how many times I've done that. Later, God. You know, I'll reach out to that person later on. I'll, I'll make a connection later on. And I get in the way. Uh, another way that in which I become a wall is when I refuse to invite someone different from me into my circle. Or, or when somebody makes a mistake and I know God is asking me to offer grace and instead I, I offer to them judgment. God, I'm not going to forgive that person. I'm not building a bridge between that person and God. I'm, I'm being an obstacle. I mean, there are so many ways that we can become obstacles. But I think what Jesus is saying in this passage is, is not to just watch how you do something lest you make someone fall. What he's asking us to do is to, to watch out and see how you can respond to those people that God is bringing in. Watch how I behave and how I respond to God lest I become an obstacle in his kingdom. Have I been an obstacle? Oh, I, I know I have. I know there's been times people have chosen not to come to this church because of me. And so what do I do? Well, in the very next verse, Jesus says this. He says, so watch yourselves. If a brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them. And even if they sin against you seven times in a day and, and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. You see, when we're a part of a community, when we're part of the city of refuge, the one thing that we know will happen is that people will hurt each other. I mean, that's a given. Because we all show up here broken. All of us. And Jesus knows that. And so he addresses this issue. He, he talks to us in this passage about the power of forgiveness. And he talks about how we should forgive. And he talks about the reality that somebody is going to offend us. And he says it doesn't matter how many times they offend us. Our role is to do what? Is to forgive. That's what it means to be a part of the city of refuge. Some of you came with anxious hearts searching for something more, and you found it here in Christ. Did you know that this year so far we've had 62 people make professions of faith in Christ? And a lot of those have been children. 
This can happen more often if you and I will be intentional about inviting others to this city of refuge. You see, I, I think the best way to proclaim the gospel is, is, is to simply live it every day. Jesus reminds us that you and I, that we're to be the light of the world and, and that we're to let it shine before others. They may see our good works and give glory to God. I heard a preacher say the other day, he said, do you have the stink of Jesus on you? And what he meant by that is, is that, is it obvious without having to say anything that, that you've been with Jesus? <laughs> that you're living in his presence each and every day? See, that's what I want for this city of refuge. Not that we're perfect, but when new people walk in, they will see that this is such a warm and caring and, and winsome place that they feel safe to be here, to be themselves, to be authentic with who they are. Oh, they may not have all their theology right. They may not even be sure of, of who Jesus is, but they see something so compelling in our lives that they want to be a part of it. Just recently, somebody walked into our worship service for their very first time, and they said, you know, the minute we walked in, we felt the presence of God. Several Sundays ago, uh, one of our children, an eight-year-old, came to worship with her mom. And, and while we were singing, she said, I felt the presence of God. She said it felt like somebody was, was holding her, hugging her. And at that moment, she said all of her fears and, and all of her worries just fell away. I mean, how cool is that, that even our children are experiencing the presence of God in this place. And that's what should happen every single Sunday. But not only do we need to live our faith, we also need to proclaim it. In Colossians chapter 4, verse 5, the Apostle Paul says, Make the most of your chances to tell others the good news. Now I think the most compelling method of, of faith sharing is to simply share with people what God has done in your life. What was it like before and, and what's your life like now? For me, I, I share uh, with people how before Christ my life had no meaning and no purpose and, and how in Christ I found uh, the reason for living. And that was the change for me. In, in John's gospel, we have this great example of this man born blind and he encounters Jesus and he's healed. And the religious leaders begin to interrogate him. They want him to denounce Jesus and to call him a fraud. But the formerly blind man, he, he won't do it. He knows that Jesus has, has changed his life forever. And so the religious leaders really put the pressure on. And they try to back him into a corner. And finally the blind man just simply says, whether or not Jesus is a sinner, I do not know. But this one thing I do know, that once I was blind and now I see. And they have no reply for that. They cannot refute that something miraculous happened to change the blind man's life. Let me ask you, has it been a while since you've done that? Who has God brought into your life that needs to hear some good news? How about your children or your, or your spouse, someone that you love? Who are those folks who can't live another day without some good news? Take a risk. Share it with them. You see, the purpose of the city of refuge was to make sure that justice was done. It was to make sure that the, that the helpless had a voice, had a protector. 
I just finished reading the prophet Jeremiah in my devotional time. And in chapter 29, Jeremiah writes a letter to the exiles in Babylon. And he urges them, he says, seek the peace and the welfare of the city to which God has carried you. You see, as Christians, we cannot be indifferent to the needs of the city where we live. To be a, a city of refuge, we must be a force for justice. That's why this church does all of our outreach programs, things like Whiz Kids and, and the food pantry and, and counseling and Sunday serve days and, and the jail ministry and Project 5000 and Habitat for Humanity and an Appalachian Service Project. Last week, we, as you saw in the video, we hosted three displaced families in our hospitality house and we showered them with some love. And folks, it is your giving of time and talent and treasure that enables us to do this. This year you gave almost a quarter of a million dollars. We have more than 470 of our members who are regularly serving in our outreach projects. That is absolutely amazing. At the heart of this city is Christ. Psalm 118 reminds us it is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in humans. You see, the church stands between the accused and the accuser. And in Christ alone is found our salvation and rest for the weak, the broken, and the sick. His grace is sufficient. So who needs a, a refuge? Oppressed people do. Troubled people do. Tired people, weary people do, grieving people do, worried people do, brokenhearted people do. I do. The first move is yours. It's a big one and it's a hard one. It goes against the grain of many of us who like to consider ourselves independent and self-sufficient. It's a move from independence to dependence. And maybe for some of us today, it's time that you called out and admitted that something is chasing you down and wearing you out. And it's admitting, it's admitting that unless you find a city of refuge, unless you find some wings to crawl under, that you're done. You're finished. You can't take another step. And you have to be willing to admit, God I can't outrun this one. My only hope is a city of refuge. For some of us today, it's time that we pour out our hearts to God. It's time that you tell him about the footsteps that you are hearing behind you, the opposition that you are, that you are feeling, the pressure that you are facing, the burden that you are carrying that is tearing you apart. Some of us today are in extreme distress. And Scripture would advise you to orient your whole life, your schedule, your relationships, your activities around refuge time. You know Jesus did that? Jesus took time to be with his friends, to go to a safe place, and to huddle under the wings of God's love. The Bible teaches us that there is this ultimate city of refuge, and it's called heaven. 
and that those of us who have trusted Christ and have been adopted into his family will enter that final city of refuge the moment that we draw our final breath. No more fear, no more oppression, no more injustice, no more running. And its doors are never locked and its gates are always open. And Christ stands at the gate and he says, come, you are welcome. Let's pray. God, some of us today are looking for refuge. We have been on the run far too long, and we're worn out and tired, and we can't do it anymore. God, help us to say yes to you, to hear your words of welcome. Let us know, God, the gates are always open, and that you are the city of refuge. God, for the rest of us, we, we need to be a part of that city, that community that welcomes, that builds bridges instead of putting up obstacles. Help us to do that, God, in the way that we live our lives <laughs> and the words that we proclaim. Help this church, oh God, to be the city of refuge that you desire. Amen.